The Truth News Network. When the fix is in, you know it. What you don't know is when the fix went in. A government built on corruption doesn't form out of thin air. It takes a long time to form, takes a long time to get here. And what you see is only 10% of it. Corruption is built on lies. And to see the depth, you need a lot of truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And to reveal that iceberg is Dan Newman. I don't know that I know where the iceberg is. I know we've got them in our path, don't we, folks? Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live, our Thursday edition. And there is so much news today, so much hanging out there. It's really difficult to keep up with what's going on. And then even more difficult to find out when you know something's going on, getting the facts about what's going on. That's the world in which we live, folks. It's full of confusion. It's full of uncertainty. And it's it's a shame that our leaders, those that we, they ask us to send them to Washington, D.C., and we vote to send them to fulfill their promises to us. Once they get there, they get caught up in that merry-go-round of everything happening political and who knows what, who has something on somebody else, where can I get a big bit of money? They get caught up in that corruption stuff, and there's nothing we can do about it. Well, at least they think there's nothing we can do about it. Well, how are you doing this week? I hope you're doing really well. I know that all of us in the United States of America are doing much better than are our counterparts across the world on the other side in Ukraine. The war is still going on, and it's not looking very good for the people of Ukraine. We're going to dig into that ourselves a little bit this morning. We have so many things to discuss with you today. The president's in the middle of this. uh, The vice president's in the middle of discussions. Things that are happening over there that are being hidden from us over here. We're going to get into all of that and a whole lot more. And of course, we want you to join the show. You are welcome to call in and speak to us, ask questions, give your opinions anytime. Toll free, one 866 37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. You can call anytime, as a matter of fact. And um, I tell you what, instead of me going through the litany of what I have gleaned from catching up from overnight what happened in Ukraine, you know, they're seven hours ahead of us. Um, Bill Hemmer at Fox News just minutes ago did a great synopsis of where things have wound up today after another day of fighting in Ukraine. Here's Himmer explaining all that to us to get started. It's a tough day, huh? Yeah, it is. Uh, Really, to to watch this. And I I think, you know, some of the reporting you did earlier today is very significant. I I haven't seen any reporting in these southern towns Mm -hmm. where the Ukrainian military is putting up any resistance. Yeah, it's, that, and, and, that, and that's significant. Me, this is the main effort, yeah. but right now, this is where Russians think strategically they can make the most advances that yeah. choke off Kiev. So Odessa is a town of a million people, and the amphibious vehicles are now moving toward that city. If you look at Odessa on some of the images of this town, it's a beautiful city. It is. I mean, Putin probably wants to preserve it. They called it the Pearl of the Black Sea. And he wants to keep it the way it is now, which may indicate that the intense bombing we've seen in some of these other towns uh, will not happen there, like up in Kharkiv mm-hmm. or 
or even potentially in Kyiv as well. But I think the fact that there is so little reported military resistance tells us, as you were talking about a few hours ago, much of the concentration for the Ukrainian military has been in the Donbass region necessity. For, for more than eight years because mm -hmm. they were in defensive positions. Yeah, so if you're the Ukrainians right now and you've got yeah. at least half of your force here mm -hmm. and you're defending your capital city, you're going to have weak points. Yeah. And that appears to be the South is one of them right yeah, now. Yes, so if you want here, we just advance this. Uh, why don't we go up to here, Pete? Just Because yep. uh, I think really this is where the story is today. Uh, Kursan appears to have have fallen. Uh, that's a city of about 300,000. Uh, there's a push now into Odessa, as I mentioned, you mm -hmm. know, historically significant, especially for the Soviets, too, right? Yes. When you go back to Soviet Russia and what Putin is thinking about the significance of this port side Warm city. Warm water port. Yep. Yeah, up here in Donetsk, that's a town of a million people. You think about the refugees already. I, I, these, these towns are they're not small. No. Um, and and they're beautiful. Mariupol is about half a million people, too. There's going to be significant fighting, too. Uh, this town here has been surrounded, about 150,000 Ukrainians living there. So this right now is the target for for Putin's sure, and this, and this, Mariupol has seen a, a, a lot of intense yeah. fighting, and what that would do, should should it be taken by the Russians, would connect yeah. it through an additional land bridge, which provides for resupply. Exactly it, right. it feels almost as if what they want to do is cut off the entirety of the Black Sea. I agree with you on that. If I could here, I would just go back to this original screen here. So what does that do for them now? Militarily, you know what it does, right? I mean, you can take the southern Absolutely. area, you can take the northern area, then at some point you connect the armies. Yep, you connect the yeah. armies, yeah. you cut off the eastern part of the country, and, and now you're, they're in even I would just trouble. make one more point. I, I think if you want to go we over can here, we can. Here. No, please, after you. Um, ladies first. Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, a month from now, we're looking at so many of these towns, and they're going to look like the video from Kharkiv looks. And well, what are we going to do? How, how well, long are we I mean, sit this, by? this is a fundamental how question here. How many civilians here? die before we, yeah. it matters? Um, I, I think we're getting ready for a very long war. And the war is going to look like the insurgency looked in Iraq. Um, and I, I think that's the Ukrainian people's best defense at this point here. Right, uh, to hold on, but or they cut talks and they, they say, okay, we'll take what we have so far. Uh, and mm -hmm. they, the talks are in round two today at some point. Yeah. What happens Which, in the future? What if he does take all of Ukraine? Let's say he does. Then what about the people there? They're not going to support him. Yeah. I, I would say, Ainsley, look at some of the reporting we've been doing over the past 48 hours in the West. Anytime a shipment of AK-47s come in, uh, there's people lined up around the corner, down the street, around the block. So you're, you're going to have... 45-year-old men and 60-year-old women who are going to be armed with an AK-47. Right. That, that's where the insurgency and you uh, is laid bare. And the, the Molotov cocktails, I think, are good for the moment, but th they're not going to last over time. What they're going to have, what they're going to have to do, is build their own IEDs. And what we have to do for you mm -hmm. is to tell everybody yeah. about your Fox Nation show. Yeah, you got it. We, uh, Sean McCourt, put this together, and uh, I just fronted it. But it's all about the Russian war, uh, war machine. After the Soviet Union collapsed in the early 1990s, they were economically on their back. And for the last 30 years, Putin's been rebuilding the machine that you find now, dropping out Fox Nation. Have a look at this. The Russian assault on Ukraine is a high-stakes, high-tech gamble. Vladimir Putin has a clock ticking. Russia is lethal from the ground, from the air, and from the sea. This is combined arms, air power, armor, infantry. So how does Russia's military compare to Ukraine's? And how does it stack up to ours?
And what you're going to find here is how they rebuilt their military in a lot of ways, you know, that's compared to the U.S. military. You know, what, what they did with their tanks, what we did with the M1A1, mm -hmm. what we, we've done with stealth fighters, what the Russians have done with stealth fighters. Now, all that is on display for the world to see how effective they will be ultimately. But listen, it is day eight. And I, I would just argue, like, over the weekend, we heard all those reports in the north and the northeast about the Ukrainians fighting back. Well, w where has that battle gone now? You, you don't hear about drone attacks anymore. This convoy has been sitting out in the open air for a week, mm -hmm. and there's been no action taken against it. Why is that? I think it suggests, Pete, that the Ukrainian military is now on its back, and, and it took only eight days to get there. You heard the report. That's the latest live. It happened just moments before we went on the air. Ukraine, it sounds very much like the nation is in a big, big problem. And it looks like, according to Bill Hemmer, it looks like it's going to be a long one, too. That does not bode well for the Ukrainian people, nor does it bode well for free people on the planet. Because what we're looking at, folks, is a despot, a dictator, a totalitarian, an authoritarian, Vladimir Putin, who lusts for more power and he wants the old Soviet Union back. And so what he's doing, he started it years ago. Remember in 2008, he took Georgia. And then in 2014, he took Crimea. And now he's doing his darndest to take the biggest territory or the biggest state over there, second only to Russia, Ukraine, that is full of some of the most important things for lives for people not just in Ukraine, but even people around the world. It is flooded with natural resources, and Vladimir Putin wants them. It's looking like uh, he's well on his way to getting them. You heard him or talk about that city of Kershan. The mayor of that town stated that armed visitors we're in the city council meeting today, imposing a list of rules on Ukrainian citizens that live there. These were not negotiations or anything that was already rumored about, the mayor said. No one agreed on anything with me. However, indeed, there were armed visitors in the city council today. And the mayor stressed that his people are unarmed and are peaceful. This is horrible. I cannot believe we have fellow citizens on planet Earth that are staring down what these people are looking at. And folks, it's regrettable. It was stoppable. Nobody has put up any resistance. This just frosts me. I mean, we're members of NATO. And granted, I understand it. Ukraine has never been asked to even go into NATO, the North American Treaty Organization. But look what may be in the offing today because we did never push for Ukraine to come into NATO. And what's scariest about that thought is the reason we probably never pushed that is because Vladimir Putin has got stuff on some of our current and former U.S. leaders. He has never, in fact, he has fought tooth and nail to keep Ukraine from joining NATO. And my friend, the gentleman that I told you about two Saturdays ago, we spoke for a couple of hours. He's a billionaire from Singapore that lives somewhere else. He's an expert on that part of the world. He told me that the reason Vladimir Putin was in the process of invading Ukraine 
was primarily for food. Most of Russia's food that they don't produce themselves comes from Ukraine. And he said that Vladimir Putin knows that if Ukraine ever gets into NATO, that the United States will at that point block trade between Ukraine and Russia. It's amazing. There are so many moving parts in the politics of every nation on this earth. And we just know, I mean, a bare less than 1% of all of the back and forth. But you know who is very knowledgeable about what's going on over there and they're right in the middle of it? The Ukrainian people. My hat's off to the Ukrainian people who refuse to lay down and let the tyrant just march into their country and take it. They didn't do anything to deserve this, folks. Nothing at all. They're just being people on earth, existing, doing the best that they can for themselves and their family members. This is the epitome of what the left in our country have been pointing to Donald Trump and Trump supporters calling Donald Trump an autocrat, an authoritarian. When in fact, to be honest with you folks, authoritarian rulers, what they do is they seize all of the rights, privileges, and power from the citizens in their nations, and they take unilateral control of everything. Look at our country. What's happening here right now? Don't you sense in some way that we have authoritarian rule in our nation? It's supposed to be a representative republic where the people are the bosses. The people bring in, hire others to represent us in our government, but they're supposed to be representing us and the things that we think and feel are best for us. That's not happening in Washington, D.C. today. You can't tell me that what we're seeing playing out on our streets, in our cities and towns around the nation, or the things that voters had in mind when they went and did their voting in 2020. There's no way you can convince me of that. It's a tyrannical, bureaucratic, some elected, some appointed group of people that are self-proclaimed elitist that they somehow or feel like they have unilateral control of everything. And I'm not crying. I'm not screaming. I'm not hollering. I'm saying this is a wake-up call for all of us. All of us. Just some radioactive fallout from the State of the Union message the other night. Um, There was not much substance in what the president had to say. It was long on comforting, platitude, short on details. He tried to make people that are very weary, very frightened during his first State of the Union, he wanted to make us all believe that he can execute that unity agenda that he promised us all. Yeah, right. (laughs) But as they listened and watched the president, most voters were confronted with a reality, a hard reality. America's 46th president isn't even able to even unify the Democrat Party, his own party. Everywhere, there were optics of dissension, division, dissatisfaction inside the Democrat Party. Top to bottom, folks, Joe Manchin, here's a prime example. 
Democrat senator from West Virginia, Manchin set in the State of the Union message with Republican senators. And he did that just hours after he called out Biden's hypocritical action of allowing Russian oil to be imported to the United States while shutting the spigot on American energy production right here at home. And nobody confronts him. That's okay. We're buying 600,000 barrels of oil a day from Vladimir Putin while he's invading Ukraine. Adding injury to insult, two progressives. Firebrand, Representative Rashida Tlaib, Democrat of Michigan, and Black Caucus member Colin Allred, Democrat of Texas, they actually felt compelled to air counter-programming to the president's prime-time speech. Those two post-address appeals to progressives doubled what Republicans felt necessary to muster. They only offered a spark, a really soft-spoken Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds for rebuttal. It was such a rebuke that Representative Josh Gottenheimer, a Democrat of New Jersey, compared the Democrats' counter-addresses to keying your own car and slashing your own tires. Representative Cori Bush, one of the, the newest members of the squad, she's a Democrat from Missouri, she joined in crashing Biden's State of the Union party, wearing a red dress with the number 18,000 on it directly calling out her own president for inaction on one of her racial justice priorities. 18,000. That's how many people whose clemency petitions are sitting in a backlog waiting for the president. She tweeted that out. Justice delayed is justice denied, Bush said. One of the Democrats' most ardent supporters of what? Defunding the police. President Biden, we're urging you, start granting clemency now. A couple hours later, Biden returned fire on Bush and other defunding advocates in his own party. The answer is not defund the police. It is to fund the police. The division, <clears throat> excuse me. Wow. Biden's got a bunch of division in his own party, and it goes way, way deeper. And it was proven the weekend before the speech when Democrat former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii, just two years removed from running against Biden for president in the primaries back then, remember, showed up at the CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference down in Orlando. She was the keynote speaker at the annual Ronald Reagan dinner. A Democrat, folks. It wasn't just a gesture. She unloaded on Biden, on big government Democrats, on liberal media sycophants in big tech. She said was an unprecedented assault on free speech coming from them, free assembly and free religion. Basically what they're telling us is you're an enemy of the state if you dare to oppose or even question the president, his administration on his policies. Shut up, step back, fall in line, or we're coming for you. Let me ask you this. Don't you get a little bit of that sense, that feeling in what we're watching play out? They're coming for us. I don't I don't want to go down the street screaming the, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. I don't want to go there, and I'm not going to go there. But it just seems to me like those that we've elected to represent us 
and do what's best for the nation, they're absolutely not doing that. Now, don't get me wrong, there are good people in Congress, no doubt about it. But there are, are a lot of bad seeds there that don't believe in the tenets of what they took an oath to. The performance of this last week has veterans of past Congresses seeing the Democrats headed toward or already engaged in a political civil war. They're already in the civil war. There's no question. That's former Republican presidential candidate, Minnesota Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. The Democrats' far-left wing of the party doesn't think Joe Biden is liberal enough, she said. So this is where the party is out there on a kamikaze mission. This is a huge mistake that they're making. 37% approval rating. That's all the president has. He's got a Russian war on Ukraine, spiraling inflation and soaring crime here. His options to navigate the friction are limited. I mean, really limited. And folks, he and every Democrat, everybody in Congress, as a matter of fact, are heading into the 2022 election that's going to determine control of Congress. There are no political coattails, none, at 37%. And no Trump is boogeyman playbook (laughs) coming up this election. That's probably a big reason, if not the reason, a stunning 31 House Democrat incumbents have just decided to go to the House. They're not going to run for re-election. 31, folks. And it's also why those Americans who tuned in Tuesday night will need more than platitudes and optics to begin believing in a unity agenda. I don't think there's a chance that any Americans are going to fall for that. It's just uncanny. It's unfathomable. I would have never thought in my lifetime at any point, even when things were really bad. You remember back on 9-11? Oh, my gosh. We thought it was over. 3,000 Americans, boom, gone, killed by terrorists. That doesn't happen in the United States of America. How many people have died already just because they live in Ukraine? They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't attack Russia. They hadn't been doing anything out there. They just being citizens of Ukraine, doing what citizens of Ukraine do. That can happen any place on the globe at any time, folks. It can even happen here. Now, Joe Biden, he shared a bunch of whoppers Tuesday night. We covered those ad nauseum. We're not even going to go into it. But a day, just one day, after he lied during the State of Union address, Biden essentially lied again. What do you do now? Suggesting during a speech at the University of Wisconsin-Superior that the January 6th riot last year happened at the U.S. Capitol, it was somehow to blame for the Russian invasion of Ukraine. He actually said that. The president blamed the January 6th riot (laughs) for the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, to hear him tell it, the divisions laid bare by that riot convinced Russian President Vladimir Putin that he'd be able to get away with invading Ukraine because America would be too divided to stand up to him. 
Here's what he said. Quote, this is the press. Vladimir Putin was counting on being able to split up the United States. Look, how would you feel if you saw crowds storm and break down the doors of the British Parliament, kill five cops, injure 145, or the German Bundestag, or the Italian Parliament? I think you'd wonder, the president said. Where did he get those numbers? Where? Kill five cops, injure 145. Five cops weren't killed that day. The only person that was slaughtered that day was a private female, Ashley Babbitt, and she was killed by one of his capital policemen. Shot her from the back, in the back of the neck, and she bled out. She wasn't armed. She wasn't attacking anybody. But here's Joe Biden. He's blaming Putin invading Ukraine on what happened that day, January 6th. Boy, he got blasted. You ought to see what Twitter world. I'd give, I've got probably 25 tweet responses to what he said. I'm not going to go down there. The Trump supporters that were there that day, they killed zero cops. Zero. Following the riot, one police officer died of a stroke. Four others committed suicide. There were no cops killed that day, folks. It's not clear whether he made the claim because he purposely sought to lie to the American people or whether he's just simply gone, out of it, mentally ill. Critics have noted his State of the Union address was full to the brim with all kind of gaffes. But folks, Democrats, they have repeatedly lied again and again about the January 6th riot. And in May of 2021, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the president believes there are a number of officers who lost their lives, paid a tremendous sacrifice on a day that will be a stain on our democracy for many years to come. She said that from the podium in the White House. The president believes there are a number of officers who lost their lives. He's never said a word about Ashley Babbitt, never made any kind of reach out to her family. She's a military veteran, and she was there protesting. No, she should not have been in the Capitol, but she was unarmed, had not done anything, made any kind of sign that she was going to do anything physical to anybody. And this cop, Capitol cop that works directly for Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, for whatever reason or reasons, pulled this gun. I've seen the video multiple times. Ashley was with her back to him. He was above her. It was on a stairwell. And he just raised his gun and shot her on the left side of the back of her neck, severed an artery, and she bled out there on the floor. The coroner in Washington, D.C. ruled her death. Homicide. The man has never been investigated, never been prosecuted. And the coroner said he murdered her. What's that all about? Maybe, um, maybe Saki, Jen Saki, she just misspoke. But she made it sound as if the president believes a number of officers lost their lives, specifically on January 6th. But again, that never happened. He continued his remarks at the University of Wisconsin this Wednesday. He took credit for the United Nations voting to condemn Russia. Well, that's what the rest of the world saw. 
It's not who we are. And now we're proving under pressure that we are not that country. We're united, he said. And he made one final reference to the riot on January 6th that he'd completely disordered. He just distorted it a second earlier. And folks, that's how I was able. We were able to make sure we kept Europe united and the free world united. A vote in the United Nations to condemn Putin. 141 countries voted to do that in the UN General Assembly. Just so you know this, the vote was nothing but a symbolic, just symbolic, not legally binding. It had no meat on the bone, no real meaning. Moreover, the president's rhetoric ignored the elephant in the room, which is that the U.S. hadn't prevented Russia from invading in the first place, and we could have. The U.S.-led diplomatic and intelligence bliss over the past month exposed Putin's intentions in Ukraine, but they felt horribly short of halting his invasion. That's from Foreign Policy magazine. Even before his invasion occurred, and of course afterwards as well, the president's critics in the Republican Party were warning that his weakness was emboldening Vladimir Putin. It just so happens their criticism is backed by polling data showing that a 62% majority of Americans believe the invasion would have never happened had Donald Trump still been in office. 62% of Americans, whether it's true or not, the perception is we have a weak, 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 weak president in the White House that is oblivious to facts. It just appears by his actions and his inactions, and it's confirmed day after day after day. It's like he doubles and triples and quadruples down on ineptitude or stupidity, whichever you want. The same Donald Trump who Democrats like Biden have claimed is responsible for the January 6th riot Ironically enough, that's the guy that Americans feel like would be way better, way better. 62% are positive that if Donald Trump was president, this whole Ukrainian thing would not have happened. The January 6th riots would not have happened. That's all in our rearview mirror. We'll never know what would have happened. But most Americans are pretty sure it didn't have to happen. So here's our president. As you know, he's a Catholic. This is Mardi Gras season. Two days ago was Mardi Gras, the actual day of Mardi Gras. The next day is called Ash Wednesday. It's a religious holiday, and Catholic members, they go get ashes on their foreheads to remind us about what happened in the run-up to Christ being crucified. So Joe Biden, right after he went to the Catholic Church, you could see him in this interview with the ashes in the middle of his forehead, just was pretty dismissive of one reporter who wanted to get him on record with a comment about his support for abortion despite his being a Catholic. And of course, Biden didn't answer. He refused to answer the question and scurried away after a Real timely intervention by Jill, his wife, the leader of the free world, who had drawn raves from Democrats and their shills in the media, 
after the State of the Union message on Tuesday, was headed across the White House lawn toward awaiting Marine One for a trip to Wisconsin for that speech we just told you he made, supporting his Build Back Better agenda. And he had answered a bunch of softball questions before he was asked about abortion. The reporter named Owen Jensen, who is the Washington, D.C. correspondent for the Catholic Eternal Word Television Network, EWTN, and a very vocal defender of the right to life for the unborn, tried to pin Biden down after another member of the press got the president to confess that he was giving up ice cream for Lent. Jensen asked, quote, Pope Francis is asking for prayers and fasting today for the people of Ukraine on this Ash Wednesday. Pope Francis is asking for prayers and fasting. What's your reaction to that, sir? Biden answered, I think he's right. I was with the Cardinal this morning. He came over to give me ashes, and we both prayed for that, for the people of Ukraine. But then the newsman followed up. Last night, Mr. President, you continued to support Roe v. Wade, referring to Biden's State of the Union remarks, as a Catholic. Why do you support abortion as a Catholic, defying church teachings? Well, I'll tell you what, Joe said. I don't want to get in a debate with you on theology, but you know, well, anyway. And the president replied as Joe Biden moved in to rescue him. Jensen, the reporter, persisted, but why? Why support abortion as a pro-life? And he was cut off. Declining to answer, Biden said, I'm not, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to make a judgment for other people. If you're Catholic, why, why defy church teaching? Jensen pressed as Biden walked away. So during his big speech, Biden defended the killing of the unborn, which is always cloaked as women's rights by the political left. The constitutional right affirmed in Roe v. Wade, standing precedent for half a century, is under attack as never before. Biden said in his State of the Union message, that's, of course, a shot. States like Texas that have passed strong pro-life laws and have been savagely attacked by himself and those in his administration. If we want to go forward, not backward, we must protect access to health care, preserve a woman's right to choose. Few presidents have been as reluctant to be pinned down as Biden, especially in a crucial election year, when it comes to any issue where the wrong answer could cost him with his party's fanatically pro-abortion base. So in other words, he's trying to play both sides, and he's just not doing a very good job. As a matter of fact, he's not doing a good job at all in most everything that he's doing. There's another big Joe Biden faux pas that's standing out there and it's really become a big deal. We're going to take our first rate of the uh, break of the day. When we come back, we're going to talk about this big one, this other big one that nobody's talking about. That's just ahead. Oh, 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 right. 
may not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn-out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, buy two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply, see store for details. Dinner, dinner, dinner. Every day you have to think of what's for dinner. Well, now Subway has a solution that is sure to please every person you have to feed for that last meal of the day. It's called Dinner Tonight. Every day after 4 p.m., Subway is offering a Dinner Tonight special, which includes two regular 6-inch subs, two bags of chips, and two 21-ounce fountain drinks, all for just $11.99. This offer is available all day long on Sundays. Subway of Kodiak. Eat fresh. Are you ready for best life minus the burnout? I'm Zuri Hall from NBC's Access Hollywood, and my new podcast, Hot Happy Mess, is all about the most important VIP, you. Join us each Monday as we discuss relationships, self-care, career, and much more. Our podcast is for mindful, ambitious, diverse millennial women who are ready for more happiness, laughter, peace, and purpose now. iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts, and it's easy to see why. Listen to Hot Happy Mess every week on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And Dan Newman. It's truth. Sometimes truth is really hard to swallow. But I can't think of a single time in my life. Looking back, and I'm 68, so I've, I've had a few months to look back in the rearview mirror and question some of the things that have happened there. I can't think of a single time when the bad stuff came around, sometimes self-afflicted by me on myself or others around me, um, sometimes coming from sources unknown, sometimes from people I would never suspect. The truth in all of those, even though they were bad things, it's better to have had the facts. It's easier to handle, make resolution decisions about processing those things moving forward. And sometimes people, they just don't go down that road. They just want to hide it. It's like if we bury it and don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. That never turns out for the better. It never does, folks. So there's another thing that Joe Biden is up to his neck in. Very few people are talking about. Right in the middle of this He's condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine every day. And he threatens Moscow with escalating punitive sanctions, measures, whatever the heck he's going to do. Guess what his administration is quietly doing behind the scenes? They are collaborating with the Russians to revive the Iran nuclear deal. And while doing that, undermining future U.S. presidents who might withdraw from it. Now, this is being confirmed by a bunch of officials that are in the know, but they won't go on record. 
They just want the American public to know Biden's doing it. The U.S. has partnered with Russia to get a new nuclear deal with Iran. That's Fred Flights, a former CIA analyst who also served as a senior staffer on both the House Intelligence Committee and the NSC, the National Security Council. This includes secret talks with the Russians over the last year and agreements where Russia would hold uranium enriched by Iran and give it back to Iran if a future Republican president backed out of a new nuclear deal. Can you believe they're doing this? Former President Trump withdrew from the Iran nuclear deal. You remember that. It was very controversial, but he pulled us out of it in 2018. That agreement placed temporary restrictions on Iran's nuclear program in exchange for lifting sanctions on Iran. It was struck in 2015, implemented in 2016. By the way, no input at all from Congress. Barack Obama and Joe Biden did it arbitrarily. Many experts and U.S. officials believe Iran seeks to build nuclear weapons. And of course, Tehran denies it top to bottom. The Biden administration has been working with Russia to get it to undermine a future Republican president by helping Iran's nuclear program. That, again, is according to flights. Richard Goldberg, who served on the National Security Council, he worked as a staffer in Congress for a long time, number of years. He said that under the deal being negotiated today, it appears Iran would send enriched uranium stockpiles to Russia to keep, on condition that Russia would return the stockpile if the U.S. reimposes terrorism sanctions. Now, does that sound like something a leader in the free world would ever even consider doing? Why would they want to do that? We're talking about a nation that is already a nuclear superpower. I'm talking about Russia. I'm not talking about Iran. I'm talking about Russia. So the deal that they're promoting out there, and you know who's in the middle of it, John Kerry's up to his eyeballs, Antony Blinken, our Secretary of State, He's up to his eyeballs in working this out, trying to hide this from the American people. Earlier this year, the Biden administration said it was aware of a Russian proposal for an interim nuclear deal with Iran, didn't give any details, and that caused, of course, House Republicans to demand the administration share what information it has. Russia sent a secret agreement to Iran. That's from Representative Michael McCall out of Texas, who's a Republican. Russia is trying to take the lead now in the negotiations with Iran. This is a secret agreement. We haven't seen it. Sounds familiar. They didn't see the original Iran deal. The U.S. and Iran have been negotiating indirectly in Vienna over this nuclear deal, allowing Russia to play an influential role with both sides directly. Gabriel Norona, who served in the Trump administration as a special advisor for Iran at the State Department, said yesterday his former career colleagues from the State Department, National Security Council, and European Union are so concerned about the deal taking shape that they shared it with him, details they wanted him to publicize, in hopes that Congress is going to step in and stop the deal. 
The entire negotiations have been filtered and essentially run by a Russian diplomat named Mikhail Yulinov. Biden's negotiating team in Vienna is led by Robert Malley, who, according to Norona, has proposed that the U.S. will remove Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps from the foreign terrorist organization LIFT and lift sanctions on it if the Iranians simply promise to talk to the U.S. in new negotiations about their regional activity, which is terrorism. Can you believe we would even sit at a table and negotiate with these thugs that slaughter their own people and they kill with no heart, no thought about it, anybody who disagrees with them? And we, this president, has people that are negotiating with Iran over assisting them in developing enriched uranium for one purpose and one purpose only, nuclear bomb. These actions fit with a report that was written by the Iranian Foreign Ministry for Iran's parliament last summer. In it, Iranian officials wrote the Biden administration was prepared to lift not only sanctions weighed by the nuclear deal, but also the additional penalties imposed by the Trump administration. Among them would be sanctions against Iranian Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei, Khamenei and the U.S. designation of the IRGC as a terrorist organization. In other words, it looks like Biden isn't simply trying to revive the original nuclear deal. Instead, it's negotiating one that will be more advantageous to Iran than the original. The U.S. would pay more up front, with less time on the clock, less lengthy restrictions on Iran's nuclear program. Some of the deal's key restrictions on Iran's nuclear program expire in the, during the next decade. One official explained the regime is trying to build financial armor to prepare for the event of the U.S. withdrawing from the deal after the 2024 election if a new U.S. president wishes to do so. Can you believe they are planning for the Democrats to lose the White House in 2024 and whoever takes residence in the White House then, they're predicting it will probably be a Republican and that Republican would blow this deal up. They're creating a backdoor method to keep all of the uranium that has been illegally enriched in Iran that is going to be stored for the Iranian government in Russia. Iran had a crash course in surviving maximum pressure during the Trump administration. They learned lessons from it, trying to financially insulate itself as much as possible while holding on to as much of its nuclear program as they can. Russia doesn't want a nuclear-armed Iran, but the Kremlin does does want a client-like state to its south, and the nuclear deal helps make that happen. You know that old adage, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer? Experts and some former officials said that when sanctions were first lifted under the nuclear deal in 2015-2016, Iran's repression increased at home, while its aggression increased abroad 
as the regime allocated much of the money to its military and the IRGC. That money is money that Joe Biden and Barack Obama, with no authorization, no input from anybody in Congress, you know, the representatives of the people. About a billion dollars. And the last chunk of it went over in cash. In Iran, the Revolutionary Guards dominate the civilian economy. They monopolize the oil industry, manufacturing and construction by unfreezing assets, lifting sanctions and encouraging new investment. The Guards can expect a windfall, most of which they'll use to finance their quote-unquote projects, ideological projects at home and abroad. It's terrorism. That's what they're all about. Our president is doing this right now. He's not doing anything to stop Russia, which he could do it. He could do it today. One failed swoop. He could crush the entire Russian economy by making an announcement today. I have authorized every oil company, natural gas company in the United States of America to restart production and maximize what we can produce in natural gas and oil, not only to take care of our needs and make us energy independent again, like we were when Donald Trump was president, but to be able to take care of our partners in Europe for their energy needs in gas and oil. And oh, by the way, one other little thing. Stop, bring to a halt Russia's ability to export oil and gas. That would stop it. He knows it would happen. He knows he can do it, and he won't do it. Begs a question. Here we go again. We published a story on this the other day, had well over a million people read the story. What does Vladimir Putin have on Joe Biden? Now, let me give you another little stupid thing that's going on right now. You heard us. We we told you a story. We were excited about it, a bunch of Ukrainian fighter pilots. They went to Poland. Why did they go to Poland? Well, these Ukrainian fighters, they've not learned to fight in American jets, but they know MiGs, which are the Russian fighter jets. NATO has a bunch of those. And so NATO said, hey, we'll put those in the hands of these Ukrainian pilots. they got to come to Poland and train on them, just to make sure. So we were excited. We reported it here. 70 fighter jets were being provided to Ukraine by European Union member states. Now, guess what's happened? Western powers have denied any plans of giving combat aircraft to the embattled nation. The EU, alongside Slovakia, Bulgaria, and Poland, has seemingly denied the possibility of providing the Ukrainian Air Force with combat aircraft. This, in spite of the initial widespread reporting that either the EU or a number of its members were actively in the process of providing these fighter jets, with the Ukrainian Air Force even claiming that Poland would provide it with the use of its airports for combat tasks if necessary. And then, of course, we find out. Politico reported, these plans have fallen through. 
Europe's Joseph Borrell Fontellus, who serves as the bloc's head of foreign affairs and security policy, reported to have backtracked on previous comments regarding the provision of fighter aircraft. A bunch of different newspapers had previously reported the EU was going to provide fighter aircraft to Ukraine as part of a package of military aid. We are going to supply even fighter jets. Now that's Politico reporting, claiming that Borel Fontella said that during a press conference. However, the foreign affairs head has since been reported as backtracking on those statements, saying that the EU couldn't afford to fund such ventures and that aircraft would be donated bilaterally by EU nations instead. Yeah, that's going to take forever. Meanwhile, Ukrainians are dying. Let me just point something. I guess this is really the 900-pound gorilla in this, this story. That Russian convoy that has been measured to be 40 miles long, most of what's in that convoy are Russian tanks, For some reason or reasons, that convoy has been stopped. It's been sitting still for three days now on a highway in Ukraine, 40 miles long, with heavyweight weapons, missiles, tanks. I can't even imagine the other stuff that's in it. How easy would it be to take that convoy out with military jets? fighter bombers. They could take that thing out in a couple of hours in total. And it's been sitting there, sitting ducks for three days. And the reason everybody got excited about these Ukrainian pilots being called to go to Poland to train on these MiGs and get them, pick them up and start the fighting, that was what everybody was excited about. Look, a breath of fresh air. The Our partners in Europe are coming to the aid, giving us the jets, and we will be able to to kill Vladimir Putin. And now, for political purposes, that's been taken away from him. Just when you think something is working out good, <laughs> it goes south. I, 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 just, I just cannot, I just shake my head. Meanwhile, the refugee count, the official number released yesterday, for refugees coming out of Ukraine, one million are fleeing the Russian invasion. Kherson, that is the first city that the Russians have captured in Ukraine. After that, the bombing of Kharkiv, where Russian forces have been accused of using devastating cluster bombs as well as the ongoing siege of Kiev, and attacks across the east part of Ukraine, they're all piling up, as are the numbers of refugees. Everything is chaotic. (laughs) Nothing seems simple. And just my opinion, folks, but I think the reason nothing seems simple there is because it's not being managed well. Volodymyr Zelenko, who is the Churchill of this entire thing. He's an amazing diplomat, an amazing leader. The president of Ukraine refuses to leave the country. He is at the top of Russia's hit list. They actually sent in those Chechen rebels that are experts at search and destroy and killers. 
They were taken out. They went there just to get Zelenko. Zelensky. <laughs> it's hard to remember these names. And they were taken out before they could find him. He refuses to leave Ukraine. And he continues to ask Americans to pray for peace and to help give them the weaponry they need that they will take care of Putin. He says it again and again. We don't want American boots on the ground. Give us the military hardware and we'll do it ourselves. I got to be completely honest with you. Don't know the guy. I do know he has no political career other than being elected the president of Ukraine. He was an entertainer, stand-up comic, and was a movie guy. But I can tell you this one thing. He is all in for the nation of Ukraine. And he's certainly not afraid of what might happen to him. And it looks like it probably will. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring six forty nine in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just six forty nine. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. I know I should quit smoking, but it's just... (sighs) My feet and hands are numb a lot. Walking to the bathroom gets me winded. (coughs) I cough all the time. Seriously? (sighs) I've been dying to quit. Don't wait till you're dying to call. When your health is worse, it will be too late. 1-866-QUIT-YES. The Illinois Department of Public Health and the American Lung Association in Illinois. QuitYes.org. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gompertz from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the French fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks, fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. (gasps) We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Not looking good for financial purposes for Russia... Rating agencies Fitch and Moody's have downgraded Russia's sovereign rating to junk status. They're doing that because of tough Western sanctions over the Kremlin-ordered invasion of Ukraine. Fitch downgraded Russia to B from triple B and put the country's ratings on rating watch negative. Moody's cut Russia's rating by six notches to B3 from BAA3. With that move, the two rating agencies followed in the steps of S&P, which last week slashed Russia's rating to jump. So what does all this mean? Folks, the ruble, it's, it's valued less than one penny. One penny. 
Russian people don't have money that's worth anything to buy anything. And yet their leader continues this stupid invasion of a sovereign company, country just because he is lustful for power and is committed to bring the old Soviet Union back. In the meanwhile, here we go. Here's the United States of America. We were energy independent before this president took office and we hadn't bought anything from Russia in years. His first day in office, we put in orders for oil. We're buying from Russia instead of buying it from ourselves because we were producing that oil before he took office. And then there's his buddy, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Guess what our Transportation Secretary said yesterday on MSNBC's The 11th Hour? This is Transportation Secretary, the guy's supposed to know about all this, right? He said to combat oil prices that are skyrocketing amid this invasion by Russia of Ukraine, Joe Biden did not want to authorize the Keystone Pipeline to kick back up. According to Buttigieg, here's what he said. This is a quote from Pete. It would be galloping after permanent solutions to immediate short-term problems. You got that? The reason we're not going to do what he said is to restart the XL pipeline, which is what Joe Biden started this downslide, doubled the cost of gasoline and diesel at the pump for you, and just excoriated all of our security measures because we are dependent upon Russia for oil now. That if we would go back and put back in place the things that, with an executive order, Congress didn't do this. Biden did unilaterally. He shut down, basically shut down, our carbon fuel industry. And if we went back and did that, according to Mayor Pete, it would be galloping after permanent solutions to immediate short-term problems. And so the anchor on that MSNB show, Stephanie Rule, she said, I want to stay on gas for another moment. You're absolutely right. The president does not set the price of gas, but he can influence it. And while releasing some strategic reserves matters, given how much has been released, it's really just a drop in the bucket. Do you know the big announcement Joe Biden made about from our emergency stash of oil? I'm releasing 30 million barrels of oil. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That's two days of cons- uh, consumption in the United States at the max. Two days. Are there things, she said, and I realize this is controversial, it has huge environmental impacts. Could the president possibly consider authorizing the Keystone Pipeline or working something out with Iran? Buttigieg said, look, the president has said that all options are on the table, but we also need to make sure that we are not galloping after permanent solutions to immediate short-term problems where more strategic and tactical actions in the short term that can make a difference, like what you have with the strategic reserve, which exists partly in order to respond to situations like this. And he wasn't done spewing his stupidity. The president has laid policies that are going to help cushion the impacts of any volatility in energy markets in the future by building up more of a diversified and homegrown energy base 
for this country. Now, let me tell you why the stupidity of this administration is now more front and center than it ever has been. Why did Joe Biden move? He was a moderate for his entire political career. Why did he all of a sudden move so far to the left? Because he was told, he was told by Democrat Party leaders, if you want to be the nominee, and if you want us to help you be the nominee and be Donald Trump, Here's what you've got to do. You've got to pander to these far leftists that are these green energy zombies that are sold out to the destruction of the petrochemical industry permanently in the United States. So what are you saying, Dan? Joe Biden was for sale? That's exactly what I'm saying. You give me another explanation for why he's doing it. I know he's never had any business expertise. He's never had any business experience, but he's not illiterate. He may be stupid, but he's not illiterate. And so what he did was abandoning, just totally abandon every concept that he had watched work well in the energy industry in the United States. He abandoned that simply because he wanted so desperately to be the president, and this was his one chance. Now, let me tell you how illiterate this was to do and what he's done, and it is proving to be more so true every day, and you and I are paying the price. Any intelligent human being looking at this whole picture, and even if that intelligent human being looks at the energy world that's out there and the things that we might could do to move away from our big reliance on carbon fuel would put a plan together to make a move. Joe Biden didn't and doesn't have a plan to make the move. The Green Deal folks, they don't have a plan. There is no structure, no format. What they demanded he do, and he's done, is to turn the spigot off on oil while all the time just telling Americans, hey, we're making a transition to clean energy. We're going away from coal. We're going away from oil. We're going away from natural gas. All of that, and we're going to battery-powered everything. And so all of a sudden, instead of making a transition, even if that transition could be and possibly would be successful, instead of putting a plan together and doing it over a period of time, he just shut off all the carbon fuel and has nothing to replace it with and nothing on the horizon. Even the propagators, the people that are in that industry, the scientists that know it well, electric energy, They tell us this is an impossible task. It can't be done as quickly as it would have to be done. We are years away from being able to do it. Now, what is their end goal? Every one of them. The climate change nutcases. Every one of them wants all energy that's produced by carbon fuel to be obliterated. 
totally done away with. They're going to replace it with electric. Everything's going to be electric. Batteries. Oh, you've got wind energy and you have solar energy. Well, let me ask you this. When you get ready to make that luxury trip to South America or from Houston, say, to Hawaii, are you going to get on a battery-operated jet? Let me put it another way. Do you think Air Force One is going to have a bunch of batteries? Or maybe they just put solar panels on the wings. Do you think any president is going to fly on that? It's insane. It may be possible at some point in the future. And so while the scientists are continuing to do their researching and testing, novel idea, Why don't we start a transition? There are sectors in our lives that can function that way. Why not start trying some of those areas to check the efficacy? And can that work out before you just turn the spigot off 100%? And the day that you started that, you doubled the price of fuel for every American. Needlessly just for political thuggery and committed to do it if they would put you up to be the president of the United States. That's an awful price for Americans to pay for one man's vanity. And that's exactly what we're doing. Pete Buttigieg, he was marched out there to try to sell this deal. It makes him look stupid. I don't know that I don't know anything about him. I know he was the mayor of a small town in northern Indiana. That was his political expertise. And apparently, he didn't do a great job up there for that. He left that job to run for president, and he got a job in the Biden administration as Secretary of Transportation. And so he's trying to cover for Joe Biden, saying that if we did something that would work good for us right now, which Joe Biden could do immediately, I told you what the solution would be, maybe temporary, but it would work for quite a while. We have all that infrastructure already in place. It's already there. They're sitting waiting. We still have the people that he sidelined, put out of work, that are looking for work. And it's not reinventing anything, which is what they're in the middle of trying to do now and aren't even further along enough on the road to do it, to make it work when they cut the whole petrochemical carbon industry cut the legs out from under it. And there are people today that can't afford to drive a car to the grocery store or to work. And it's only getting worse. And Joe Biden could stop it overnight. Once again, why isn't he? Why isn't he? On his watch, too, there are a lot of other bad things that are happening. Everything, I mean everything, is getting more and more expensive for all of us. And it's not just grocery. It's not just fuel. It's everything across the board. New homes. The cost for new homes is staggering. Everything has gone up. And yesterday at that university where he was speaking, he was asked that question. And Joe explained why the cost of building, why the housing costs are going up. And I, when I heard it, 
I said, our people have to hear what the president said about that. This is the leader of the free world, the smartest man on the planet Earth. And here's his explanation. Listen closely to President Biden. The reason why the cost of housing went up and new housing is because no one's there to make sure they had the two-by-fours to be built, to, to, to build the homes, because people weren't in the factories. And because people were making a lot more money than before, there was a lot of cash at hand, and they did not use that cash to go out to the restaurants or go on vacation. Everybody's making a lot more money, he said. And so that's why there was nobody to make the two-by-fours. Did you hear that? They used it for hard products because people are making a lot more money than before. There was a lot of cash at hand and they did not use that cash to go out to the restaurants or go on vacation. People have a lot more money, so they're not spending it, basically, is what he's saying. First of all, people don't have a lot more money. Paychecks have gone up. Not a great amount but they have gone up primarily because there was this push from the top down to raise wages. So many businesses, many corporations did just that. Of course, he doesn't understand how economics works. Work, um, there's got to be a bottom line. Companies have to make money. They have to make profits to justify it. How do you make profits? Well, you've got two ways to get a profit. That is to raise your cost, excuse me, lower your cost or raise your prices for your goods and services. That has to be done if you raise anything in the cost, including payroll. So who pays for that? Well, the companies can absorb just a little bit of it, but you got to remember if they're going to exist as companies, they've got to make money to be able to pay for what they do to get an end result that people want. Joe Biden doesn't get that. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't have a clue. And I got to be honest with you. What you just heard this man say proves to me that he really is either incompetent, cognitively disabled, or just plain stupid. I want you to listen to this again. He's explaining why new home construction costs have skyrocketed in his first year as president. Coming up with an answer. Now, this was in a speech. That means somebody wrote it for him. He's not answering a question. Somebody in his administration, knowing he was going to give this speech, and that was an issue in Wisconsin, construction costs for new homes, they actually put this out there for you and I to hear. And, of course, because he's the president, we respect what he says because he is the number one guy. The reason why the cost of housing went up and new housing is because no one's there to make sure they had the two-by-fours to be built, to, to, to build the homes, because people weren't in the factories. And because people were making a lot more money than before, there was a lot of cash at hand, and they did not use that cash to go out to the restaurants or go on vacation. They used it for hard products. Because people are making a lot more money than before. There was a lot of cash at hand and they did not use that cash to go out to the restaurants or go on vacation. So what did they use it for, Joe? If they didn't use it to go on vacation, they had all this extra cash you just said. They didn't use it. They didn't use it. Well, why didn't they use it? I mean, Buttigieg, what he said, and then Biden, what he said, these are the leaders of the free world 
and they have the power to determine what you can and can't do and how successful or unsuccessful you would be. And they make those decisions every day with no consideration for how those decisions impact you. You remember this Afghanistan thing. Remember all of that hoo-ha and the way that Joe Biden pulled this out? Well, there's more big bad news about all of that and its results today. During an interview that was aired yesterday on NPR's Morning Edition, State Department Special Rep and Deputy Assistant Secretary for Afghanistan, Thomas West, he reacted to an Afghan interpreter stuck in the country who is saying he feels he was left behind because he did something wrong and he should not have worked as an interpreter by stating that we're hearing this kind of message from a lot of Afghans who are afraid for their lives and they want to leave Afghanistan. And they were promised they would be brought out of Afghanistan by the president when he decided to withdraw and they're still left behind. NPR then played a clip of one interpreter in Afghanistan that was saying, I feel I did something wrong, and that's why maybe I'm left behind. Why did I help the U.S. Army? Why was I risking my whole life being in a job as an interpreter? I feel now I shouldn't have done this. West responded, it's heartbreaking, Rachel, and we're hearing this kind of message from a lot of Afghans who do feel in fear for their lives and they want to leave. I personally served alongside many Afghans in Kunar, some of whom have made it out and others who've decided to stay behind or haven't yet found a way out. I'll tell you that on a practical level, we are working day in and day out to try to identify practical solutions that will get modes of transportation out of Afghanistan resurrected. And we're dealing with this today in March and we withdrew the end of September last year. We know for a fact there are still thousands of American citizens who are hiding in Afghanistan. They were promised they would be brought out. And Joe Biden and his administration, the American military leadership just left them, along with $82 billion worth of military hardware that now Afghan has them. The Taliban has all that and is using it against free people there in Afghanistan. And we don't know where that stuff's going to show up. We may be looking at some of it fighting against us in Ukraine. We don't even know if that could possibly be true. Why would they do that? I just don't have any idea. I'm looking for something good to talk about today. <laughs> there's not there's not just a lot of it out there. I don't want to be all negative and I don't want to give you a downer, but I'm just saying this, folks. If you are a praying person, we need to pray for the nation. We need to pray for our, our allies around the world. We need to pray for the Ukrainians. We need to pray for reason in politics, for something to just sweep across the political landscape of the United States and those who are in service to us politically, for them to put all of this partisan stuff behind them, to put all of this 
looking to get a leg up over someone else that may have a different political opinion, to do away with that and just go back to the structure of what made this nation what it is today. And it's not politics, folks. There is no good in politics that helped us become the good that we are. Politics hasn't done that. The American people have done that. When the people work together, when the people of America are unified, everything is a lot better because people are not just doing what they're doing solely for themselves. They're doing it for what's better for everybody. That, sadly, that thought process, it looks like it's gone. We've got to find a way to revive it. Let me give you an example of how political thuggery is working in politics today. You know the name Letitia James. She was the district attorney in Manhattan. She hates Donald Trump. She swore when the Mueller investigation was going on that there was evil in the Trump organization and she was going to ferret it out. Based on that, she ran as attorney general last fall for the state of New York. She was elected and she just took the hatred for the Trump folks to the next level in New York, and she's been after them. Well, she was popped yesterday in New York State Court when Justice Joel Cohen ruled that the New York Attorney General cannot dissolve the NRA. Well, what's this all about, Dan? You were talking about the Trump Organization. Her other pet project is to destroy, actually force the National Rifle Association to disband. It was reported that Judge Cohen ruled that James' allegations of NRA financial malfeasance deal with private affairs within the organization, not with the group's members. He noted that James' complaint does not allege the type of public harm that is the legal linchpin for imposing the corporate death penalty. He left the door open for James to continue to pursue NRA CEO Wayne LaPierre's removal from the organization. And of course, Letitia James, she released a statement in response to what the judge ruled. Today, she said, the court affirmed my office's right to pursue its long-standing claims that fraud, abuse, and greed permeate through the NRA and its senior leadership. While we're heartened that the judge rejected the NRA's attempts to thwart most of the claims in our case against them, we are disappointed that the judge ruled against the dissolution portion of the case. We are considering our legal options with respect to this ruling. We remain committed to enforcing New York law regardless of how powerful any individual or organization may be. She filed that suit against the NRA in 2020. Now, a lot of people are watching this very closely because of the litigation that she has taken on as attorney general against Donald Trump personally and even his family members and his company organizations. Now, you do understand, this is a woman that has a hatred for people who are not hard leftists. Pretty much when she was DA in Manhattan, that's who she went after, people she had a political difference with. And she does all of that and still is, folks, 
on taxpayer dollars. Now, let me ask you this. If you live in New York, if you're a taxpayer in New York, a citizen, a voting citizen in the state, and you have all these issues, the COVID-19 stuff, we have the cost of inflation, taxes going through the You've got all those things out there. And in each and every one of those things I just mentioned and all those that I didn't, there's a lot of underlying details. And as citizens, we don't have access to all the information all the time. We don't. But a sitting attorney general of a state, they do. And knowing all of that, looking at the National Rifle Association, which is a very controversial organization, Second Amendment advocates extreme. They do a lot of uh, lobbying for pro-Second Amendment legislation in states and also at the federal level. But she is anti-gun. And so she takes her personal political perspective and attacks an organization wanting to break it up. And she's doing that on taxpayer money, doing it on taxpayer time, instead of attacking the real problems in New York. You may not have heard this. There's a considerable amount of law-breaking going on in New York, more than has ever happened on a collective basis. Don't you think an attorney general ought to be out there leading the, the pack to resolve the criminality and to stop it and to hold those accountable at every level. And I'm not saying turn your back on things like this. If there's really evil, wrongdoing, illegal activity going on, that's what she took her oath of office to do. She ought to do that. But she's not to be single-minded and going after political foes. She should be going after those who take actions against citizens of New York. And I'm not just pointing her out. She's kind of like the poster child for this political thuggery that has swept across our nation. And politicians have decided they are more than who they really are. They keep pointing at people like Donald Trump and accusing him of being a dictator wannabe or an authoritarian. When we have, without any question, an authoritarian occupying 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue today, who's trying to, and Large Park has already done it, change the face of this nation without even discussions with the people's elected officials that are the only people that can make laws, change laws at the federal level. And he's supposed to enforce every one of those laws without question that the people's house and Senate have passed. And yet every day, this president suborns breaking federal laws purposely, especially immigration laws by letting now we know at least 2 million people come into this nation illegally during his first year as president without any repercussions or accountability. That has got to make every one of us stop and question what the heck's going on. We have COVID-19 news. I know we haven't talked about it much, but there's a bunch of new news out there, and it's not really good news. Some of it, in fact, a bunch of it, 
impacts our kids. It just came out minutes ago. We have that right after this and more at TNN Live. Duncan is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Duncan with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Duncan. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Duncan. Price of participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. ABC Tonight, it's all about big cash. Here we go! And big crash. <laughs> On the new season of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, one star will spin it. To win it all. The big winner of $1 million. Then, host Leslie Jones is off to the races on Supermarket Suite. On your carts! Get set! Yeah. And we're going to need a cleanup on every aisle. <laughs> it all starts tonight, 8, 7 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. Enrique Santos for Taco Bell. The toasted cheddar chalupa from Taco Bell is back, and I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing. Did they really toast six-month-old aged cheddar right onto a delicious flaky chalupa shell again? Yes, they did. But now it's even tastier. It comes with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink, all in a $5 box. That's right, all that for just a little cheddar. But don't forget, it's back for a limited time. The $5 toasted cheddar chalupa box, only at Taco Bell. Fake news, spin, anger, violence. How do you sort through the chaos? You tune in to TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Yep, we're taking on the chaos, struggling to get through it. We're doing that together every day. I want to thank you for being here. TNN Live, every Monday through Friday, it's live right where you're listening now. And of course, it's not only live. After the show is over, you can immediately go to these particular sites to listen to the show. You can download the show. If you missed all or part of it, listen to it right there. Apple Podcast, Spotify Podcast, iHeartRadio Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and also on our Facebook page. Wow, a lot of different ways to get it. You never need to miss anything. And uh, any one of those, if you've got an iPhone as an example, it comes with the Apple Podcast app. You just go there, open it up, Spotify, all of them the same way. Go to the search bar and type in the show name, TNN Live. And there you have it. And of course, you can always go to our website. Go to the homepage of the story, The Day That You Want. Down at the bottom of it, the show is logged in there. It's linked there, and you can listen to it right there. Lots of different ways to join in here, and we want to thank you for doing that. Anytime you want to weigh in, you got a question about a story, something we do on the air, you can always call in toll-free, 866-37-TRUTH. That's 866-378-7884, or you can send me an email anytime, dan at truthnewsnet.com. Dot org, Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Well, 
because of the Ukraine stuff going on, it seems like COVID-19 kind of all went away. Did you notice the State of the Union address? A week before that, you could not go into that hall unless you had a mask on. Friday before the State of the Union address, Speaker Nancy Pelosi just miraculously pulled out of the air that we're not going to require mask wearing in the chamber, House chamber anymore. So everybody that was in there the other night, with the exception of one guy, I saw one older guy in a wheelchair that had a mask on. Nobody else did. And put that in the context of what we've been told, and the numbers prove it, that elderly people are the ones that are most susceptible to COVID-19 infection and the serious kind. In fact, the older you are, it's much more likely you're going to have serious COVID-19 reactions and death rate at the hands of COVID-19 is much higher for elderly people. So those mostly elderly people that serve in the House of Representatives in the Congress, they were flooded in the House. None of them had a mask on. And so a week earlier, regarding anything else, anywhere else, a big meeting like that, a closed indoor meeting like that, what was that term to every one of them? That's a super spreader. We know for a fact there are going to be a bunch of people that come out of that event that are going to catch COVID, which means they're going to give it to other people. You can't do that. You have to wear a mask. You have to social distance. But if you're in politics, if you're in the U.S. House of Representatives or the Senate, or if you're an invited guest to come in there, COVID-19 knows you're special, and it's not going to infect you. I wonder if anybody's keeping up with the infection numbers that come out of that uh, State of the Union address. I'm going to keep looking for it. I bet you, even if there are a bunch, we're not going to hear about it. Now, what about that COVID news that I told you? You know the lockdowns have really negatively impacted every American that has been caught up in it, especially, though, our kids, our school students. Uh, Most schools closed in 2020 when this whole thing began. Many of those schools didn't offer any kind of uh, remote learning possibility. They had to gear up for it. Most thankfully, in the fall, after the summer was over, they had geared up for it, not all of them. And even those that made it available, it just wasn't, and it hasn't been the same thing for our children. More than one in three students who started school during the pandemic restrictions are reading far below grade level and have little chance of recovering by the end of the school year. That's according to a study by Amplify, a curriculum and assessment group. According to them, students in kindergarten through third grade are struggling with reading to such a degree that many require intensive intervention just to recover from losses due to the pandemic. The study used data derived from dynamic indicators of basic early literacy skills, a test, a common diagnostic test that looks for indicators like a phenomic awareness, comprehension, alphabetic principle, and fluency. It compiled data for more than 1,300 schools in 37 different states from 2019 to 2022. There has been some improvement from the 2021 20, excuse me, 2020 to 2021 school year. 
Students are still, though, well below pre-pandemic reading readiness. The results also show earlier grade levels have the students least prepared relative to their grade levels benchmark standards. Nobody wants to talk about that. We knew that they were highly impacted, but we, uh, we, we pointed primarily to the social part of that, wearing masks, being kept segregated from um, your peers, which that's where kids learn most of what it is just to live, is going to school and integrating with their fellow students. That was taken away. These kids didn't deserve that. Thankfully, there were a lot of schools in the nation. Most of them, sadly, were private schools where they worked hard to make it work during that particular time. There was some remote learning. It was necessary. In some states, that was the only legal way it could happen. But in other places where it was optional, I'll give you an example. Right here in northwest Louisiana, uh, our grandchildren all go to one private school. They never shut down. They did at the end of the school year in 2020 for that short segment. But then they all came back in the fall last year and, of course, this year uh, in full 100% in-person learning. Now, they did some social distancing and mask wearing, and the cases of COVID were minuscule. And we're not talking about a teeny little school. We're talking about a school with hundreds of students, and it worked really well. It took work. It took planning and preparation and care, but it worked. And the social skills and the learning of those students have actually gone up in level there and a bunch of other private schools around the nation. Now, we hear about all the bad stuff that happens at the global level, but we don't hear many of the kudos for the people that were creative and really did put the welfare of our kids and the education of our kids as the number one priority. And it's a shame because teachers have these massive, very powerful unions that represent them that are supposed to be representing the teachers on behalf of helping those teachers do what's best to educate our children. And public taxpayer dollars are paying for all of that. That's where the kids are really struggling because they have been left out. And I I don't know if they'll ever catch back up. And it didn't have to happen. So there's a scientific report out today that I wanted to share with you. And I'm just going to tell you, it's a lot of scientific gobbledygook. And I want to just get into it. We have now found out that Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine is able to enter human liver cells. And when it does, the liver is converting it into DNA. Now, this is not a drive-by shooter saying this, this is coming from a bunch of Swedish researchers at Lund University that have been working on this for longer than a year. Now, what does that mean? Well, we were told, we've been told again and again and again, Dr. Anthony Fauci, Dr. Walensky with the CDC, they have told us from the very beginning of this, these mRNA vaccines do not get into your body. They don't convert any cells in your body. They don't impact the human DNA. But it does. And this study 
presents the evidence that proves that it does. And it makes that DNA change as fast as six hours after it's injected into any human. The vaccine's mRNA converting into DNA and being found inside the cell is something that the CDC said would not happen. The genetic material delivered by mRNA vaccines never enters the nucleus of your cells. You can see that today on its webpage titled Myths and Facts About COVID-19 Vaccines. And this is the first time researchers have shown in vitro or inside a Petri dish how an mRNA vaccine is converted into DNA on a human liver cell line and is what health experts and fact checkers said for over a year not only wouldn't occur, they said it's scientifically impossible. Remember this? I heard Fauci answer this question. He said the COVID-19 vaccines do not change or interact with your DNA in any way. Pfizer, quote, our COVID-19 vaccine does not alter the DNA sequence of a human cell. It only presents the body with the instructions to build immunity. Hey, you want me to put that in context for you? More than 215 million, or 65% of Americans, are fully vaccinated as of February 28th. 94 million have received a booster dose. What do you think is going to come from this? Human DNA in all of those people that got Pfizer. Now, there are three vaccines out there. I don't know the breakdown between Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, and Moderna, but Pfizer and Moderna are both in this category of mRNA vaccines. So at least two-thirds of those people are facing the fact today that they've been told by the experts, by our government, beating us over the head with it, shaming us into getting vaccines. Two-thirds of us have injected into us a vaccine that changes our DNA. And just a point of clarification, I'm not one of those people. I have not been and will not be vaccinated unless they hold me down or do it when I'm unconscious. That's not the big deal. The big deal is is that we have been lied to. This should be top of the news across the nation, across the world, And nobody's talking about it. And yet they're out there still today saying, you got to get vaccinated. You're going to die if you don't get vaccinated. So now that President Biden has declared that Americans can get back to life as normal after our pandemic, it's time now that we can look back at the toll that it's taken on the U.S., and how that compares to the perception of the American people. Now, what are you talking about, Dan? Well, recent polling showed a majority of Americans are ready to begin moving toward a society without any COVID-19 restrictions. Democrat governors, the CDC, they've started to miss to lift their mask mandates and relax mask, mask 
You can't see that easily. Relax mask guidance that Democrat voters have largely supported throughout the pandemic. There is a sharp partisan divide still between Democrats who are more wary about moving on and Republicans who already have in most cases. It can be explained by how misinformed the American people are about the risk of COVID-19. Since January 21 of 2020, 78.8 million positive COVID-19 tests in the U.S. This is according to the CDC. And according to any expert, at least tens of millions more undiagnosed cases. As of March 1st, 947,882 Americans have died of the virus, the vast majority of them elderly or with serious comorbidities. 1,433 Americans under age 18 have died with covid making up about 0.1% of total deaths. 75% of COVID deaths have been in Americans 65 and older, and among the vaccinated, over 75% of COVID deaths occurred in people with at least four comorbidities, such as obesity, diabetes, and or cancer. However, the average American, even the young and healthy, vastly overestimates how at risk they are of a negative outcome from the virus. Now, this is the part we need to look at. Nearly one full year into the pandemic, in December of 2020, the Brookings Institution produced a report based on a Franklin, Templeton, and Gallup survey of 35,000 American adults. In that survey, Americans believed about 8% of COVID-19 deaths occurred in those 24 and younger, when the real portion was point. 1%. Respondents overestimated the death share for every age group except for 65 and older. They believe seniors made up about 39% of deaths when the real portion was 81%. Let's get to politics. Members of both parties wildly overestimated COVID-19 deaths among young people, although it was more pronounced among Democrats. In that same survey, More than one-third of Americans said that COVID-19 gave somebody at least a 50% chance of ending up in hospitalization. The real answer is somewhere between 1% and 5%. And only about one in five American adults answered that correctly. So the pandemic raged on. More information became available, which should have made the public more informed. More recent surveys found Americans were still dramatically off in their risk assessment. A September 2021 survey from Rasmussen asked Americans what they believe the mortality rate was from COVID. The real number, it's hard to precisely pin down, but estimates are under 2%. But 17% of Americans said it was 5% or higher. 19% said it was 10%. Or higher. Interestingly, Rasmussen found that Americans who don't watch cable news at all were more likely to peg the correct death rate than those who watch CNN, MSNBC, or even Fox News. It's no wonder Americans are continually overstating the risk of the pandemic. A study published near the end of 2020 found that American media's coverage of COVID skewed dramatically more negative than that of other countries. 91% of U.S. media coverage of the pandemic at the time 
was negative, compared to 54% for international sources and notably 65% for scientific journals. The negativity of the U.S. major media is a big deal, even in areas with positive scientific developments, including school reopenings, vaccine trials too. Media negativity is unresponsive to changing trends in new COVID cases or the political leanings of the audience. So there's a new Axios-Ipsos poll out, and it found that a big chunk of Americans are still concerned about the virus. Even with more than 80% of those aged 5 and up at least partially vaxxed and death and hospitalization numbers are cratering, 64% of Americans said they were still concerned about the virus or another outbreak. And 55% of Democrats specifically said a return to normal is risky. In January, President Biden's approval rating on the issue of the pandemic dipped underwater It remains there now with about 47% disapproving of his performance. And in some other polls, it's way worse than that. that. What does that all tell me? Well, the last two things we talked about, the Pfizer mRNA manipulating of DNA and these numbers coming out that certainly prove beyond any reasonable doubt that the media have pushed this pushed it hard, and forced Americans to believe things that are, in many cases, exactly opposite of the truth of COVID-19 infections, hospitalizations, and even deaths. Why would that be happening in the United States of America? Why? I don't have an answer. I'm asking because somebody needs to let me understand, help me understand, Why is leadership in this country, why are they pushing out the politicians? They're not doctors. They're not scientists. In fact, in the United States Congress, there are a bunch of medical doctors that serve in both the House and the Senate. Those people, in large part, are the ones that are up there screaming and hollering, telling us it's grossly misrepresented. It's not the truth. They're doing this to try to scare Americans to death. Those are the scientists, the medical professionals among our leaders in Congress. They're saying that. And nobody's listening. Nobody in the decision-making mode and then have that authority or listening. Mob rule. During the Donald Trump administration, we heard that used a lot. Mob rule, which is ruled by sycophants that have maybe the authority to do the ruling, but they're coming forward with not truthful things that they base their rulings on. But because there are so many of them percentage-wise, we can't do anything to counter it. We've either got to be turned into despots or people that are unworthy, deplorables, uneducated, Trump backers come up with all those names, white supremacists, we're the stupid ones. We don't even deserve to breathe the same air as the elites, the knowledgeable ones that are running the show. Quite honestly, maybe that's right. Maybe we're not worthy. But I can tell you this, 
Remember what we said at the beginning of the show, if you were with us then? Getting the truth, paying the price, whatever the cost is, to get facts on which we can make good decisions, it's worth the effort. And we owe it not only to ourselves, but to our kids. We've got to go down that road, folks. we just got to do it. We're not done yet. <laughs> we got another big one we need to bring to you. I, we're, we're not even going to get close to finish today. Let me tell you what, we're going to do this short break. When we come back, I'm going to try to get two big additional things in that I want you to know about. But let me just say this going to the break. No matter what, what's going on, folks, we're going to be fine. We are going to be fine at the end of all of this, I promise. Your source of truth in a chaotic world, 24-7, online, on your devices. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. What happens when a young singer gets to cut a track with an R&B star? Yo! Or a young activist gets to chop it up with their hero? Oh, snap! You get McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Mentors, the series elevating the next generation of changemakers. Each episode, a must-see passing of the torch between the culture leaders of today and the young leaders of tomorrow. Check out Black and Positively Golden Mentors on Instagram at We Are Golden. Look out, world. We got it from here. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks. Just like when you were a kid. Remember the naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Yesterday we mentioned that there was big news coming out of Wisconsin, one of our key battleground states in the 2020 election, that it was regarding widespread election fraud. And of course, you can't even talk about that anymore. Ooh, there's no such thing. It's the big lie. That's what those rhinos in the Republican Party, the two of them that are serving on Nancy Pelosi's January 6th committee, that's the, what they maintain. If you believe any of that, You're just a big lie supporter. Well, guess what? A special counsel, Michael Gableman, vetted more than 90 nursing homes in five different counties in Wisconsin and concluded there was widespread election fraud, his words. Rampant fraud and abuse occurred statewide at Wisconsin's nursing homes and other residential care facilities. That's according to his report. That conclusion represents but one of the key findings of election irregularities detailed in the nearly 150-page report, a report that also confirms the conclusion of the Racine County Sheriff's Office last fall that fraud occurred at nursing homes. Special Counsel Gableman, the retired state Supreme Court justice appointed by the Wisconsin Assembly to investigate integrity concerns, 
vetted more than 90 nursing homes in five different counties before concluding there was widespread fraud. We've got the story with all the details. We'll either put that on our website, truthnewsnet.org, or we'll bring it back tomorrow in our show and we'll discuss it. But folks, it's not a big lie. That 2020 election, the final results may not have been sufficient for the inhabitant, legal inhabitant of the White House to be changed. But there was widespread fraud. Thank you for being here today. If we don't hear from you before or talk to you before, we'll be here at 9 a.m. Central tomorrow morning at TNN Live. You have a great one.
Milkshake.